a band director that I was uh, working with in Texas, which is where I was living at the time. He pulled me aside and he said, look, I know you can play piano. Uh, I can tell that you have musical talent, that the skills there, but you're just not set up the right way to be as successful as you want a trumpet. And, and he was right. Like, uh, my lips are a little bit bigger than the average trumpet players. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it does mean that I'm going to have more struggles. Like I'm just not naturally set up for it. to Sustaining Craft, the podcast all about those who make some or all their income from their art or craft. I'm your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, and we're doing a special season on how creatives have been impacted by the pandemic. My special guest today is Liz Taylor-McMullen, a musician based in Little Rock. Hi, Liz. How are you? Hi. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know this is a little different. <laughs> um, there's been some kinks as I'm figuring out Zoom on my end, but... Thank you so much. Uh, Liz, what do you do? Well, I, as a musician, a part-time musician, uh, I play euphonium. And for those of you who don't know, that's very similar to the baritone or basically a half-sized tuba, but they're not the same thing. Uh, so that's what I have my education in, uh, a bachelor's in music ed and a master's in music performance. Uh, and then I play accordion in a duo and I have a French jazz combo. And then I also play a tenor banjo for a group at UCA. And the reason why I do that at the University of Central Arkansas is because I also work there as my day job. And employees are allowed to leave their post for one class a week and my one class a week is a, a traditional jazz band. Oh, so wow. that's what I do. That's awesome. And then you also teach as well? I do. I teach piano lessons mostly on the side. Every once in a while, I get a request for guitar or banjo, um, but piano is actually my first instrument from when I was a kid, and uh, and so I live there a lot. It's a very popular, great way to make money on the side. Mm -hmm. How many uh, different types of instruments do you play? Well, um. As far as like things that are radically different from each other, because there are a lot of instruments that have a ton in common. Mm -hmm. So you have a bunch of crossover and I wouldn't say it'd be fair to be like, uh, well, I can play the flute and I can also play like the saxophone. Those have so much in common fingering wise that it doesn't like make a big difference because my background, music education, you, I was studying to be a band director. And when you do that, you learn how to play all the band instruments to a certain level of proficiency because you have to be able to get sixth graders started. So I know this is a much longer answer than you probably anticipated for this that's question. Fine. Okay, yeah, that's fine. But uh, I want to start off by saying like, yeah, every music teacher you've met has had to do training like that. So we can all play, you know, flute clarinet, saxophone, trumpet, trombone, French horn, tuba, and we all probably had to take a strings class, although mine was kind of worthless, <laughs> so that if you had to, you could also teach orchestra. Because for a lot of people who are band and choir directors, their first job 
is uh, in a state like Arkansas being the only music teacher K through 12 for a whole school district sometimes. Wow. Yeah, so you have to be able to wear a lot of hats. And that's why I can play a lot because I, uh, a lot of instruments is because I learned how to learn. Mm -hmm. So I know something that happened when I was growing up was that the arts was usually defunded first in schools, you know, and that my, my big interest was in painting and crafts and all of that. It, it sounds like music has been hit in a similar way where the funding is, is difficult. So if you're a music teacher, you have to wear all these hats. Is it, is it a same struggle that you found to get the funding to teach? I have a, an overly affectionate cat who's uh, rubbing on the keyboard. <laughs> it's okay. Either have her in here with me or have her on the other side of the door scratching and pawing and meowing okay. throughout the whole interview. Uh, and it's fine. I, I don't mind. Fail. <laughs> uh, yes. I, well, first of all, whenever you're a band director, uh, you are expected to get your CDL license. They want all of us to be able to drive the bus to take our kids to and from competitions. Really? Mm -hmm. That too. And CDL, because I, my mother is a bus driver and that's all she does is like, she does bus routes in the, in the mornings and evenings. And that's, that's a, it's a, it's kind of an extensive test. It's not like you just take something to like get your, your car regular license. You have to know a lot and how to maneuver a pretty big vehicle. That's a big deal. Right. I feel like your job is already pretty stressful. You're trying to organize, uh, sometimes as many as 60 kids. I'm not sure what the law is currently, but as a band director, you're allowed to have more students than a regular classroom teacher. So if you are in one of those small districts where you have to get a CDL license in, able, in order to be able to take your kids to all of the events you want to, like you're stressed out driving this massive thing that you're not used to, and you're having to anticipate and plan ahead and prepare mentally to get everything done and executed. So it's already like taking a hit because as we know, like um, the mental burden of a lot of work is more important than people have realized in the past. And I've been lucky that I, whenever I did teach in the public school system, I was always at big enough programs where we had uh, enough bus drivers in our community to take us to and from places. So like lucky. 60 kids in a bus, like stuff's happening, like that's mayhem. And if you're the only adult. Yeah, and you have to uh, organize chaperones. Uh, there's a lot that goes into planning a trip. And when you're high school, you have to do that every week you know, for football games during the fall semester. Uh, but I am so grateful that I only did that for two years and then the next four years I was uh, a choir director and the amount of time that I had to put into what I was doing went down drastically. Um, like a football game takes about five hours out of your Friday night and when you all of a sudden don't have to do Friday nights anymore you feel like you have all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. That's true. Well, I want to rewind real quick because you have a super cute story on how you became a musician in the first place. So tell me a little bit about how you even decided you wanted to learn um, an instrument. Well, I'm the youngest of five kids. 
And I really look up to all of my older siblings, like every single one of them has something amazing or cool about them, uh, whether they're great musicians or very talented visual artists. Uh, and my parents wanted all of us to learn how to play the piano and also to play uh, an, another instrument. So two of my brothers played trumpet ahead of me. Um, like my other older siblings both played clarinet, but they were more the visual arts. So the two brothers that played trumpet, one of them in particular was very good. Uh, and I just wanted so much to be good like him. Uh, and so I picked trumpet whenever I started in sixth grade. And I played that and it was about the end of my seventh grade year. A band director that I was uh, working with in Texas, which is where I was living at the time, he pulled me aside and he said, look, I know you can play piano. Uh, I can tell that you have musical talent, that the skill's there, but you're just not set up the right way to be as successful as you want a trumpet. And, and he was right. Like, uh, my lips are a little bit bigger than the average trumpet players. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it does mean that I'm going to have more struggles. Like I'm just not naturally set up for it. And also I have an overbite and trumpet players tend to be like really flat from the bottom of their nose down to the tip of their chin. Mm -hmm. So, I, so you, know, you know, like when they showed that, uh, uh, visual of Michael Phelps and how he was like perfectly designed for swimming mm -hmm. at the Olympics. Yeah, I am not that when it comes to trumpet. So this band director, uh, Mr. Scanlon, he gave me a euphonium after he had that really gentle conversation with me. And he said, I want you to take this home and I want you to try it out and see, see if you like it. If you don't, we'll never talk about it again. But if you do like it, I'd really would like you to consider switching. You could be really successful at this. And I did take it home and all of a sudden it was like every issue that I ever had with trumpet was just instantly fixed. Um, all of a sudden I could play high. Uh, I could do like way more like jumping around in gymnastics facially. It was just a better fit. It was, everything was like the right size and just felt natural for the first time. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's really awesome that you had someone in your life that this gave you another option, you know, because we all know those stories that people are just like, you're just terrible at this. You'll never make anything of yourself. And for him to be like, you know, why don't you try this and see what it's like? You called it a gentle conversation. And, and that's really nice to hear that he, he cared enough to be like, all right, let's try this instead. I think that also set the stage for how I wanted to be as a teacher myself later in life. I was like, that guy was able to have a really difficult conversation with me in the nicest way possible. Mm -hmm. And I left that conversation not feeling hurt, but actually hopeful. So I tried to remember that feeling and like channeled it whenever I was talking to students, whenever I was, you know, a band director. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to become, so you did band and you did choir and now you're doing, you're, you're still touching all of that but your full-time job isn't band or choir now, right? How did you first decide to go into band and choir and then what made you switch? I think I just always knew that I wanted to be a music teacher from the time I was a little girl. 
it just seemed like that was the natural thing to do. It never really crossed my mind to have another job. And I got the job and I did the job. And once I got to the point where I felt comfortable and knew what I was doing, it takes about three years to get to that point, by the way. And also I don't have much of a choir background. So that time as a choir director was kind of stressful. I was trying to figure out what to do. But um, what ultimately killed it for me was just all the red tape of being a teacher. And uh, it was three things. It was the red tape. It was dealing with parents who didn't appreciate what I was doing, who couldn't see I was trying really hard. And I, and just feeling like I wasn't making much of a difference. It wore me down. Yeah. That's, it's a big challenge. I, I'm sure, um, especially if it's underfunded and then you've got all these kids and then parents are just coming at you. Um, that's a lot. Well, they say that if you stick with teaching for five years, you're in it for life, most likely. But uh, about 50% of us leave the field after five years. Is it, is there some, cause I know you don't become a teacher because you're like, I'm going to make so much money. <laughs> you become no. a teacher because you're passionate about it. Is it, I'm sure it's hard to see, to feel, I guess that passion sort of starts to get chipped away at if you're not able to do what you, you entered the field to do. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that the way music is geared in the public schools is we're teaching kids to play band instruments so that they can play for football games and some of them will go on to be band directors so that they can take kids to football games and train kids to be band directors and they can and it's just an endless cycle of teaching kids to just do one thing and while yes it does provide a lot of enjoyment like we're not focusing a whole lot on how to do community music and i think that's such a huge part of the equation that's missing uh, one of the things that I learned late, late, late in life, I'd say like probably when I was about 32, I'm 37 now, is how rewarding and fun it is to play in a small group that just goes and gigs at festivals, uh, like just plays for fun at the farmer's market. It's so much fun. And I am playing music that I enjoy and that the people around me enjoy because it can be kind of academic on the other path um, academic in a way that only you and other academic people enjoy and i want to reach a bigger broader audience uh and like i came across more kids when i was uh playing at festivals and then just reaching more people making more smile so that was why i shifted the kind of music i tend to perform uh, I do still play euphonium a whole lot in the Little Rock Winds, but we're on hiatus because of all of this virus stuff. But uh, I learned accordion. I'd say about four or five years ago, my parents bought one for Christmas. Uh, they saw it advertised in the newspaper and they're like, Liz likes weird stuff. <laughs> and I fell in love with it. It just was so versatile and was uh, such a, like, a niche thing that hadn't really been used a whole lot in our area. And I, and it just got people's attention because it was a sound they hadn't heard much before. Huh. So I'm just really glad that I've taken this different track because I'm enjoying it more. Instead of music being a stressful thing with tons of organization and not a whole lot of music making, now it's more 
like a much bigger balance of heavier balance of music making and less administrative stuff. I do that for my day job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think at the end of the day, the beauty in art, like some, some people do go on to have really satisfying careers, you know, however they're able to do that. But I think really the beauty of art in general, whether music or anything else, is that it just, it, it uh, I heard it once described as it scratches an itch, right? It, it's able to soothe our souls in a way that other things can't do. We can numb with some of the results of art, right? We can numb with movies, we can numb with um, certain types of music and all that stuff. But when you're actually creating, there's this very soothing, soul satisfying uh, effect that happens. Um, and it's really cool that you're able to do that in with your community music. What are some of the benefits you've had from, hello. <laughs> this is Topaz. <laughs> oh, so cute. She's aggressively affectionate. <laughs> oh. I could put her outside the bedroom, but she no. would make herself known in other ways. <laughs> no, Topaz is more than welcome to stay. She's very, very cute. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of unpack what are some of the benefits you've found from playing community music? You've mentioned meeting people and bringing people together. What are some of the other things that you found? Um, well, I've introduced people to things that they otherwise wouldn't have heard of. Uh, I've had people approach me after a performance and ask me like, what was that song? I've never heard that or anything like that before. And I get to tell them like, Hey, eat a pee off. Like if, you know music from the first half of the 1900s you've heard of her she's pretty cool she's on a lot of stuff you heard her music and just didn't know you heard her music mm -hmm. um and, and i love introducing people to things that they otherwise wouldn't have discovered on their own and the the aspect and then like another thing that i really love about it is like just making music with another person it's much more intimate and I would say that like my duo, I have a duo with accordion and viola, which I know is kind of a strange combination, but there's a story behind that. Uh, but like when rehearsing for that group and coming up with the uh, arrangements for that group, like I became really close with my duet partner. I'd say he's my best friend. Uh, and just like, we really enjoyed playing with each other. And this actually, this project started with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ixta, and she graduated with her master's and she returned home to Mexico. But like, I had, I had that time where after being a band and choir director and, and trying to start a music teaching business and do all of these other things, I was kind of burned out on music. I was really not enjoying it. But then Ixta was like, hey, I've got this gig and I need a certain kind of music you know, like, can you play accordion with me? And she's a cellist. And that woke up the side of me that was really missing music. Like my spark came back. I wanted to play again for the first time in a couple of years. So, um, and that's one of the other benefits to really roundabout way of answering your question is yeah, that's good. the closeness you get with another person um, with and without words, as you laugh over both of you making mistakes. Um, but like the collaboration mm -hmm. is probably my favorite part. Like there's, there's nothing like it. 
It says, uh, it sounds like an intimacy, like just a really genuine, pure intimacy where you get to connect in a, in a, in a vulnerable way um, that builds that relationship. That's really cool. It is really vulnerable, but it's also really fun. Like we laugh and we joke so much, uh, my current duet partner and I, and he also plays with me in the French jazz combo that we started. And we're in that group with, um, and my, my friend from the duo, Vidal, I, he and I are both classically trained. You know, we're both highly educated when it comes to music, but the people we're playing with are uh, more informal. Uh, they are self-taught or taught in like a little bit more of a by ear kind of way. But like, we've just had a blast playing with them. Like whenever we, we make a mistake, but we still manage to hold on and we're all grinning and laughing at how awful it sounds, but then it somehow still manages to come together and finish. It's the best time. Yeah. You can't help but be close with a person after doing that. Yeah, working together and problem solving. Oh, that's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Have you, um, so it, it sounds like you were, you're really focused on the community aspect, bringing people together. What are some of your other goals for your music that you're working towards? I just want to be better at it. At, at all times, I'm always thinking like, how can I adjust my skills? How can I um, approach this with a different kind of tactic? I just want to keep learning. And that's the driving force behind all of this. And I love to learn. Mm -hmm. that's awesome. So yeah, I want to meet people, have a good time with my friends while I do it. And I want to keep learning. That's great. It's attainable. It's a, it's beautiful goals that you're working towards. That's awesome. And they all make me really happy. And that's so important because I wasn't happy before. And I thought as a kid that those things initially would make me happy and they didn't. Um, so it's been a long road of trying to figure out what exactly I wanted out of music, but I think I'm there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Cause I know a lot of people are always, they're searching for that, right? They're searching for the answer and for you to have like, no, this is what I want. That's a beautiful place to be in. That's really, really cool. And Liz, I wanted to ask, have, how have you been impacted by the pandemic? I know some of your, your groups aren't meeting right now. You're not able to, to play. So is everything just on hold? You still have your full-time jobs. So, so you're okay, but some of, have you had to put other stuff on hold? Yeah. Nobody is rehearsing. Um, we're all commiserating about how much we miss playing together. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, that's the negative side of it. Yeah. You know, we're all, we're all like, gosh, I really miss the camaraderie of all of it. Yeah. The reason why a lot of people do it, especially my Little Rock Wind Symphony people. I can't tell you the number of times I've come out of a rehearsal just feeling better. Mm -hmm. have crappy day or a crappy week after a couple of hours of playing with people and making some jokes during the break or whenever we're in between pieces makes you feel good uh, but you know there is a positive side to it one of the things that I discovered a couple of years ago is that I really enjoy arranging music and uh, and I don't know if people all know what exactly that means, but it means that I take pre-existing music, you know, like a popular song, and I rewrite it so that it works for the groups that I play in. So like my viola and accordion duo 
uh, I wrote a version of the song Take On Me for the two of us to play. Mm -hmm. So I didn't start from scratch, but it is a lot of like listening, you know, and that, uh, that original song has a whole bunch of electronic sounds. I think if you were trying to recreate every single one of those electronic sounds, you would end up with a 12 piece band. Well, how do you rewrite that so that it works for two people? It's a challenge. It's a puzzle, but it's one that like makes my brain happy. I like taking chaos and organizing it. And even if something isn't that chaotic to begin with, I do like organizing, condensing and combining that with music just feels like good and right to my brain. And uh, it's something I've gotten better at over the years. And you were, you mentioned before having an itch. Sometimes I listen to a song and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that would be so cool to play with my French jazz combo. And, uh, and like, I'll think about it endlessly over and over. Like I'll play it in my head. I'll play, I'll play it out loud several times. And I keep thinking like, okay, well, this part needs to be covered by this instrument and this needs to be covered by uh, the bass. This needs to be accordion. Um, you know, like, and, uh, and so whenever I do get like the energy to sit down and like put it into my computer program, uh, then it ends up being like a start to finish kind of project. I don't like to stop because then I lose my momentum and it might take like weeks or even months for me to finish a project after that point. Mm -hmm. So I did one a few weeks ago for the song, Those Were the Days. And I, I worked on it for about eight and a half hours. <laughs> I only stopped for bathroom breaks and to eat a meal. Wait, Wait, I, just one day you. I just really wanted to put it to paper or computer and then print it to paper. But I, I don't normally have the energy for that kind of behavior whenever everything is like normal, whenever I have my full-time job, 20 hours of driving and teaching piano lessons along with all the rehearsing I do. Um, I'm probably out of my house about 70 hours a week. Wow. Yeah, and that's normal for a musician. We, we're kind of late on the whole, uh, you know, everyone's been like, stop the glorification of busy. Musicians haven't gotten the memo. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's a not so fun conversation where um, someone will brag about how busy they are and it's taken as a sign of success. And so then all of a sudden other people feel like, well, I need to talk about how busy I am because I need to make sure that people have the appearance of me being successful. Right. Yeah. And everyone's just working themselves to death basically. Right. And I don't know about other people, but that kills my productivity, kills my inspiration. I'm not very effective at practicing when I'm super busy like that, mm -hmm. but I'm also in the business of paying off my student loans. So I am teaching those piano lessons. Um, but I can tell you what, once those student loans are paid off, I'm scaling way back mm -hmm. because I want that energy and that time to be able to do the projects that make me happy. Mm -hmm. Although teaching does make me happy. All right. But to a point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It still has to be manageable. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, how can people find you if they want to hear your music or when everything's over, they can come listen to you play. What's the best way for people to stay um, in touch with you so they know where they could catch you next time you're playing? Well, I have a YouTube channel, uh, ms.elizabethtaylor. 
is my username on YouTube. Um, and then I have a Facebook page for my duo. Um, it's called the Leader Vox Duo. By the way, if you ever have anything that you want to try and uh, be well known and get off the ground, don't pick a name that's uh, the combination of two different languages. <laughs> <laughs> so Leader Vox Duo is uh, leader, as in the German word for song, and that's oh. L-I-E-D-E-R, and then Vox from Latin for voice, V-O-X. So basically it's song and voice duo. Mm. It's super creative. I love it. It's unique. Well, it's got a couple of layers to it. So my duet partner and I were both cat crazy and we were tossing around names. And, and my, my duet partner is, uh, has a very charming uh, Latin accent. And he said, please, wouldn't it be hilarious if we called ourselves the litter box duo? And I was like, oh, wait a minute. It's <laughs> like we could kind of sort of do that <laughs> but but have it be like the hidden meaning but it's not hidden because I just told you so yeah and what's your duo's partner's name Vidal oh and it also matched with our initials and so when we realized that like Liz and Vidal Le leader Vox like, mm -hmm. it, it was uh, so yeah, we have a Facebook page and we like to announce when we're performing at, um, like farmer's markets and also the, uh, restaurant up here, Wonder House, they like to do these markets, um, every season, you know, winter, winter, fall, spring, summer, and they like us over there. So we play for those, okay. uh, and our French jazz combo is still getting off the ground. We'll, we're still working on repertoire Effect of all of this. It's trying to try to find a space and and a uh, alone time and yeah, because yeah, my, my husband and I are both competing for the office space, which is also our music room. Oh, um, is he a musician too? He is not. He has musical talent though. Working on him. What's his name? Anthony. Anthony. How long have you guys been married? Uh, eight years. Okay. Yeah, and we dated and were engaged for about four and a half years before that. Oh, so it's a 12 year relationship? Pretty much. Very impressive. It's weird to think about it in terms of like, I've been with this person over a decade. Yeah, that's like, no, that's no small feat. Like it's no small like feat. Like 25% of my life I have spent with this person so far. You must really like him, which is good. <laughs> I do. And you know, what's funny is that as much as this cat Topaz is pestering me and won't leave me alone, Mm -hmm. She loves Anthony even more. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And, and like to the point where he can't sit anywhere without her jumping up on top of him. Uh, and she, but she can't stand closed doors. So, oh. yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's like, do I have privacy or do I have that? And either way, she's somehow going to make her presence known. Yeah. <laughs> she's a cat after all. Well, how can people support you right now? Is it just by liking your Facebook, li uh, you know, following you on YouTube? Is there anything else you need at the moment? YouTube and Facebook would be awesome. And uh, my duet partner and I, like as restrictions get lifted, he and I have plans for making videos and recordings and just making a whole bunch more art. Perfect. And is there, Liz, was there anything else you wanted to add? Um, 
us that if you've ever thought about doing music in any capacity, lessons, trying something new, do it. Even if you can't fully commit to it, do it. It's been Sustaining Craft with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of 7 Second Chance on iTunes and Spotify. And Liz, before we sign off completely, what, do you, what are you hoping for on the other side of all of this? I hope we come out with another renaissance, just like how we had the plague at the end of the medieval period, and the renaissance was the celebration of life for all of the survivors. I hope that's what we have too. And it seems indicative that's already happening. We've got people with lots of time on their hands, and I think we're just gonna have a big explosion of, of really developed, uh, put together culture after all of this is over.